0: Welcome to The Mission Matters. The Mission Matters is a partnership between 1615 and Mission Nexus, who have a shared passion to mobilize God's people to be a part of His mission. The Mission Matters is hosted by Matthew Ellison, president of 1615, and Ted Esler, president of Mission Nexus. Make sure you like, share, and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And now, here are your hosts, Matthew Ellison and Ted Esler.
1: Well, hello, and welcome once again to the Mission Matters podcast. I am Matthew Ellison. Sitting across from me, not literally but virtually, is my good friend and co-host Ted Essler. Ted, how's it going today? Good. You
2: could say sitting across the country,
1: right? That's right. I'm in New Mexico, and you're in Florida. Yeah. So, Ted, I'm going to break a podcast rule. I've done it several times. I like to color outside the lines, but I'm surprised we have 30 minutes of your time today, given that two weeks from now is the biggest event of the year for Missio Nexus. Tell us about it.
2: Well, we're excited because we have over 1,100 registrants, which we think is a record for us. There actually aren't good records going back too far, but at least since I've been around, it'll be our largest event. And we have uh, the Church Mission Leaders Conference alongside the Standard Mission Leaders Conference. And we got a lot of virtual tickets sold here in the last week and a half. It's kind of amazing to us as well. So things are moving forward. We've had a few bumps in the road. Our MC just backed out. Well, you got to deal with these things. And uh, we're short a few volunteers, but uh, they'll come in before the conference. So it's exciting. We're looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, by the time this airs, the event will have already taken place. That's why you're not supposed to do this. But if you are not... Uh, if you haven't been a part of the Missions Leaders Conference before, come in 2023. It really is an incredible gathering. I don't know if there's any place in the world where you can um, see a convergence of so many like-minded, like-hearted people. So if you can't, uh, well, I was going to say, if you can't make 2022, if you're watching this and you didn't sign up, you're, you're out of luck. But you were going to say something, Ted?
2: I was going to say that we
1: have our theme for
2: 2022, and it's I think it's going to be a good theme. All year long, we'll be focusing on it, and it is this. It is shift, rapid cultural transformation, and the gospel.
1: Great. And you meant 2023. You said 2022, oh, just for 2023. clarity. Sorry, yeah. So Excellent. It's, how we,
2: it's how we relate the Great Commission in the gospel in light of the rapid social change that's going on all around us.
1: I can't wait. And again, if you have not been, you need to find out about it and we'll see you in 2023. So I want to start with a random question here, the softball question, and really excited about our guests, and when you hear the question, you're going to think I set this up, but I really didn't. Um, I want to talk about our favorite missionary story slash biography, and of course I'll go first. It's Peace Child for me, and that'll make sense in a minute, given our guests, but I got rescued by Jesus when I was 19, um, no, a little older than that, 20, 21. But anyway, as a brand new believer, I got swept up into the mission of God immediately. And I just devoured missions books and biographies. And someone said, you must read Peace Child. Mm -hmm. And so I read Peace Child and I happened to finish it when I was on an airplane, the last couple of chapters and uh, I was just overcome with emotion. Um, the spirit of God just moved. And I'm weeping on the airplane, literally, like, I mean, almost audible sighs. Yeah. And the people next to me thought, I, you know, something was wrong. And they said, are, are you OK? And I, I just showed them the book, you know, and left it at that. I eventually became friends with Don Richardson. I was missions pastor at a church for about 10 years and led a short-term missions organization. He was mm-hmm. one, of our, one of our favorite speakers. But the first time we brought him in, I said, Don, I've got a bone to pick with you. I said uh, I was on an airplane reading your book and I finished it and just burst into tears and so that was always an ongoing joke with us but Ted I know you're a good friend of Don's as well was a good friend of Don's
2: Yeah well that was a great book uh e- turning in their in their hearts was a great book but when it comes to biographies I'm going to tell you about one that very few people have read but it's and it's actually I don't want to like throw the author under the bus too much it's actually not well written but the story is so epic it makes up for it and it's a book called One Witness by Aggie Hurst, mm. And it is a mind blowing missionary story. I can't. It, it's kind of story. That if I tell you that much, you give it away and it just it doesn't have the same effect. It's being made into a movie. So it's, it's a
3: great
1: one. Yeah, no spoilers, Ted.
3: OK, Steve, how about you? So, you know, I think Lords of the Earth and that sounds a bit self-serving, but. Building on what you said, Matthew, dad's second book is less known, but that's the one that pulled me to tears on mm-hmm. multiple occasions. And you know, it's the, it's the story of the martyrdom of two missionaries, Spandale and Phil Masters, uh, in the Highlands of New Guinea. And then a plane crash where a good friend of mine named Paul Newman and his family, he lost his three siblings and his parents in that plane crash. He was the only survivor. He made his way out through the, the broken rear part of the plain and started heading up to the very village that had killed these two missionaries a short time earlier. And that, that, whole, that whole story and book is just one of the sagas of God's redemptive. There's, there's thriving churches in that, in that tribe and in that valley today, but it was at great cost.
2: Well, I, I mean, those are all three of those uh attest yeah. to Don's impact and influence and our guest today uh is uh, Don's son Steve Richardson the president of Pioneers USA and uh, a longtime friend and you have recently written your own book
3: what's the title here it is is the commission still great this is the pre-publication printout got a few copies of this and I'm really excited about it it's coming out here in October
2: so, Steve, I've heard you talk about this project in the past. What motivated you to write this particular book? This, I mean, why this topic?
3: So quite a few years ago, I was speaking at a church outside Philadelphia, and I was sharing some of the amazing things that God is doing around the world. And an elderly lady came up to me after the service. She literally had, had tears on her cheeks. And she said, you know, I've been giving and praying faithfully for years and years it was like God spoke to me and said, you know, it hasn't been for not. I've been working around the world. And I, she said, I've just been kind of not, not knowing much, doing it by faith. And I thought to myself, you know, if she's being faithful with her giving and her prayers, but not sensing, you know, what the impact was, I wonder how many people are, are in that boat. And then I thought, you know, how many other perceptions are there about the Great Commission about missions that may be a little off or may be incomplete. And therefore people are not as motivated for their involvement in the Great Commission as they could otherwise be. So that that launched me on a bit of a collection. (laughs) I started having conversations with different people and asking questions. What do you think people's perception of missions is? And how might it not align with, you know, biblical teaching and today's realities? And I started collecting these and they ended up, becoming the basis you know i've got 8 of these it's not by any means you know the whole list of misperceptions that people would have but it's a good start and it's a good conversation starter i think
1: so steve one of the things i love to do when i'm working with the church is to create a bit of disequilibrium yes. and i don't want them to fall over but i want to create tension in the heart and mind of people that i'm talking to about missions half truths and assumptions because i want them to appraise is my understanding about missions and these ideas driven by scriptures or, or by something else and so you address these eight myths and i think it creates some needed disequilibrium in a very gracious way mm-hmm. but maybe you could highlight a couple of those myths for us
3: yeah so uh, one of them for example is what i call the side salad syndrome where missions you know it's a it's a good thing uh but it's after you've had the main course, which has more to do with your personal sanctification and becoming a better person. And uh, so it, it, it's it's really a missionless, in some ways, a missionless Christianity. It's, it's it, I think that quite a few people live as if nothing that important happened between the resurrection and the Ascension. And, uh, you know, surveys have borne this out. It's like over half of churchgoers don't even know what the Great Commission is, and something like another 37 38% have a vague notion of it, but couldn't really tell you, much less tell you that it comes in kind of five different versions in the four Gospels and in Acts with five different emphases and a lot of important—basically, we got our marching orders there after the resurrection and before Jesus ascended. And so many people live as if, and that's only part of the story, it's the whole biblical narrative. So that's one. I think another one is uh, that missions is harmful. There's kind of the, I think you've had a podcast recently about missions, you know, feeling to some people colonial hmm. and imperialistic. Is this kind of a vestige of Western imperialism? when in fact, most missionaries are not from the West. And most missionaries aren't going to traditional societies like they once were, they're going to the teeming cities of the world. But, but here's one thought, uh, Matt and Ted, is that in all my travels, in traditional cultures, meeting thousands of people in all kinds of different cultural contexts, I've never had one person come up to me and say, I wish the missionaries had never come. But I've had thousands of people celebrating and dancing and crying and reenacting the advent of the gospel, the arrival of the gospel. And I have have, of course had a front row seat to that among the Sowie people growing up there in New Guinea. So missions is harmful. It's another one. Some people think missions is failing. We're not really making progress. The global population is growing faster than the progress of the gospel when in fact, if you narrow the definition of Christianity to evangelicals and Bible believing Christ followers, um, evangelicals are multiplying at about 2.6% rate every year. And the world population is slowing down. I think it's at about 1% now. So. God is doing great things around the world and missions is not failing. And you know, it's it never has so much been accomplished by so few with so little over so many generations of sustained effort. And it's, it's, it's definitely a God, God honoring and Herculean task.
2: I'd be curious, just a few thoughts. Why do you think so? I, I mean, I obviously agree with your, your, your myths that these are myths so things I've heard for sure. Why, is the reality so different than what the average believer, I mean, are we not doing our jobs? Is it, what do you think contributes to this fog in the pew?
3: I do think part of it is that we're not doing our jobs. I would have to say, I feel like in our theology, there needs to be a rediscovery of the missionhood of the believer and not just a priesthood of the believer. So frankly, in our training programs and institutions there's a blind spot and that's I don't think that's unique to this this chapter of history I think for much of church history uh, the idea of the Great Commission and cross-cultural there was a time when they thought that if there were just a few Christians on every continent the task had been accomplished there were there were seasons when they thought that the Great Commission was only given to the apostles you know the eleven. I suspect when Jesus gave the Great Commission that middle time on the mountain in Galilee, that's possibly when the 500 people, 500 disciples were there. So anyway, but I, th- I think too, Ted, there's a lot of, there's spiritual warfare. I mean, there's, there, there's if, if, if the main thing happening in the world today is that the gospel of the kingdom is being preached to all the nations, to all all the cultures of the world, then the enemy's number one goal is going to be to obstruct that process to create a distraction, discouragement, and the best way to do that is disinformation like you know there's this chinese philosopher strategist from the 4th century bc who said the supreme art of war is to subdue the enemy without fighting so if if the devil can subdue his enemy without even actually having to fight a war on you know his territory, so to speak, culturally speaking, by disenfranchising the the, uh, the disciples, today's disciples from their mission in the world, then he's won the battle before he's even fighting. So disinformation, all kinds of stuff,
1: yeah. I think you bring up something so important, Steve, and that is there's something insidious at work here. Something evil is going on if, if the, the meta narrative, the master story, as you mentioned, it's so obvious, you know, when you see it in scripture and yet so many believers, their eyes are blinded to it. They just don't see it. And that's because, you know, and I'm not being harsh here, but pastors aren't communicating the plot line. We focused on the subplots. We, we focus on the smaller stories, but we miss the larger picture. And I just think that's an important reminder because the weapons we fight with are not of this world. This is a, a war that will be won with prayer. And of course, when Jesus talked about the harvest being plentiful, what did he say? Ask the father for more labors to be sent into the harvest. So I I appreciate that reminder because I think we can look at this very practically, pragmatically, and we should, but we have to remember this is a supernatural work that we're involved in, and we need to combat those forces of darkness with prayer. So Steve, you state in your book that some of these myths have a kernel of truth to them. Maybe you could give an example of how a good idea can become imbalanced or incomplete?
3: So uh, take the idea that Western, I think this is related to the prior question as well, that that missions is obsolete. I I had a a very committed believer here visiting not too long ago who said, he he just couldn't believe it. He said, is this still a thing? And you know, he's active, he's committed, he's giving in other arenas. And it's like, are there actually groups that are just like totally focused on seeing the gospel going out to other nations and other cultures? And he was just like, tingles went out to dinner together. And so I, 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 th- I think it's like, you know, the, the, the kernel of truth is number one, as we were saying, missions has been incredibly successful in so many ways. Korea was considered impenetrable, you know, 200 years ago. And today, there's 7,000 churches in Seoul alone. By the way, there's at least six Persian Iranians spe- uh, churches there as well. You, you, you take China and the 100 plus million people who were there. Robert Morrison back in the early 1980s, you know, when he finished, he, I've heard he had three or four converts, but he translated the Bible. So, so, so with with all this news, and then we have all these issues locally and it feels like the West is paganizing. So so then then we're like it's really challenging to keep lifting our eyes mm-hmm. uh, to the rest of the world beyond even the issues that are happening socially and politically and culturally here in the US. So you know and, and you're obviously the expert uh, Matt on everything is missions. I mean, there's a kernel of truth. Everything is part of the mission of God. Mm-hmm. Um, it all relates. It's all interconnected. It's it's never just one part of what God has planned for us. It's the whole picture. But then if you start confusing words and you start losing definitions of what we mean, and I call that um, inflation, you know, missiological terminology, inflation, and suddenly, suddenly the, the cross-cultural church planting and the discipleship that needs to be happening and in which there are still so many needs around the world that's a whole nother sermon uh, gets you lost know, i think
2: part of what's going on now too is I, I it's kind of like i call it it's anachronistic judgment in other words yep. we sit at this point in history and we look back there are things terrible things that happened in the past and there's judgment about that mm-hmm. and it flavors Everything that happens now, for example, we think of missionaries of the previous era as being uh, colonialistic. So I recently was talking to somebody, they've been overseas, and I said, so did you spread globalism when you were over there? And they're like, what do you mean? I said, well, this is the globalized age, right? So if you're going cross-culturally, you must be like a, a globalizer when you're going. And of course, that's not their intent, that's not their thought, that's not their thinking. Yet we judge somebody like William Carey, who went in opposition to his own government to India as a colonizer. And it's just the furthest thing from the truth.
3: Often it was the missionaries who were the uh, protectors, you know, the most sympathetic parties. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes, as you know, part of the motivation of people like David Livingston and others was to actually help stop the intertribal warfare and all the other things that were going on. So yeah, we, I agree. We, we tend to look through our own lenses at other parts of the world without gathering empathy really from history as well as from people in those places.
1: Yeah, yeah and, and certainly there's been some bad missionaries. There's been some bad actors, but yeah. by and large, the, the missionary endeavor has brought good to society. We've referenced the study many times on this podcast, I think, but the Woodbury study really addresses that, that the good that these proselytizing missionaries have done, those who are sharing the gospel.
3: Yeah, if you want to see a thriving democracy somewhere in the world, get in a time machine and take a Protestant missionary to that country back in the 1900s. It's
1: good.
2: Let's take this down into Matthew's uh, specialty here how about in a local church uh, is missions in competition for budget dollars is it uh, augmenting uh, what did you i don't i mean what
3: what did you come up with in the area of the local church well the, the the big picture i didn't get into a lot of detail on that but the big picture in my view is that it's a win win and i think too often we look at it as a win lose and the um, obviously difficult decisions always have to be made you know, as it relates to budget and so forth. But this might sound a bit counterintuitive, but I I love thinking in terms of super spreader churches. And I've been a part of some of these and they have been hugely impactful in in missions over decades. And I'm not talking about a a virus, obviously, I'm talking about the gospel. And these super spreader churches uh, have had leaders, senior pastors, lead pastors, Uh, elders who were passionate about the Great Commission and the big picture. And my observation is that the golden age in each of these churches, and you could kind of name so many of them, in terms of both local as well as global impact was when they were lifting their eyes to the harvest, the big picture. And the better you have the big picture, the more motivated you are for the local picture as well. That's my theory. And, and I think if if you only emphasize this, you know, the local and one of the big tensions, is you know, these days, it, and, and I tackle this from several angles in the book is the whole issue of sending Westerners. That's where a lot of the rub is, you know, the cost and so forth. But mm-hmm. I really think it's still a key part of what we need to be doing.
1: So, you know, in working with churches, I, I see exactly what you're talking about, Steve. I mean, the churches that I've had the privilege of coming alongside that have a passion for the nations they're the most active domestically they're the most active in the soup kitchens you know among the homeless they're addressing the needs of widows and you know all of the societal problems that we have but it's interesting those that i've encountered that push back like why would we go over there there's so many needs right here Again, this is anecdotal, but I don't see those churches actively engaging in their communities. It's kind of ironic, isn't it?
3: Yeah, I think so. And, you know, ultimately, every question gets back to what's biblical. Yeah. And are we embracing the whole, you know, Mm -hmm. divine will of God? And I think as long as one of my goals with this book is to generate the conversations. Mm -hmm. I don't expect people to agree with me on all these topics, and that's fine. But you know we're we're going to have this this website you know to go with the book, and one of my hopes is to generate a lot of small groups in churches and to help equip you know pastors and mission committee people to give them some tools to to generate those conversations so that the people of God can wrestle with these issues honestly, share their open feelings about short-term missions or whatever it is, and uh, if they can come out with that with a, a clearer picture of their part in God's picture, then we'll have accomplished
1: our, our mission here. David Penman, he was Archbishop in New Zealand, and, and he has a quote that I've used for years. I just love it. And he says, no local church can afford to go without the nourishment and encouragement that will come to it by sending its best people to the mission field. And so, you know, Ted, you ask, what happens when a church embraces this? What what, what does it really look like? And I think health, um, when when a church aligns itself with the heart of God, there's health and vitality that come to the church. But there's also, we talked about opposition. You know, this is warfare. This is cosmic warfare. Um, Let's talk about that a little bit, Steve. Um, Can a church that steps up its game, so to speak, in getting the gospel to the nations, would, would you imagine they can anticipate an intensified spiritual warfare.
3: Yeah, and I've you know I've seen it in some of our own closely connected churches, and I, that that just plays along with. I mean, if you're a threat to the kingdom of darkness, you're going to become more and more of a target. But you know, related to this whole combined picture of the last question on this one, I, I mean, just take the church in Antioch. I, they gave they gave what you could call their best, right? through prayer and through guidance. I don't think the church in Antioch ended up suffering long-term as a result. Um, My sense would be from subsequent um, passages there in the book of Acts, that the church of Antioch became more and more of a launching pad for a whole new dramatic chapter in so many different cultures as a result of their sacrificial obedience and giving their best. So, And the spiritual warfare was great, sure division, potential for division, misunderstanding, all kinds of stuff.
2: Well, Steve, I I know you can say amazon.com, but I heard you say you're doing a website for the book. How can people get more information about the book?
3: So pioneers.org backslash myths will be a whole series. I'll I'll be doing a few short videos, actually already done them. And uh, it'll give uh, groups, prompters and material and fodder. We've got the questions, obviously, in the book, but we've got more material on that website and Barnes and Noble. And yeah, I would just uh, encourage you to take advantage of this resource that I think will be a blessing to many churches. So, just to be clear, this is it's set up um, in a group study format. Yeah, I mean, individuals are going to benefit tremendously, but I'd love to see a multiplier effect. And I think the greatest value will come from discussions among people it can be like three or four people it can be a small group in a church that just wants to take eight to ten weeks and work through this and a fantastic tool i believe for helping to sharpen people's thinking
1: in terms of the big picture all right yeah thank you that's great so uh this is a portion of the show where i'm going to kick it over to ted but before i do that uh i I have to circle back to antioch okay i can't resist this but (laughs) acts 14 27 okay they come back from their first missionary journey, you gentlemen know the passage, it says they gathered the church and they rehearsed the work of the Spirit and how the door of faith had been opened to the Gentiles. What a service that must have been, brothers. I mean, talk about opposition, just read Acts 13, 1 to fourteen twenty seven. There was warfare, but there was these courageous stories of the gospel's advance and this narrative of the work of the Spirit. And I've often asked the question, had they not sent their best to engage the nations, they would have had no war stories to recount. And our our churches are poor because they have no war stories. So I would say, get in the game, read this book. There's some myths out there, and and I think they're well-intended sometimes, but they have unintended consequences. So I hope you'll pick up Steve's book. Um, I was really glad to read it and endorse it myself. So, Ted... This is the time of the show where I ask you, what is it that you like?
2: All right. Well, I'm going to share a gadget with you today, Matthew. Um, And if you travel much, this would be a gadget you might be very interested in getting. I recently got myself a small 100-watt wall charger. It came with a couple of USB-C ports and a couple of USB ports. The key there is 100-watt. You want a big one that, uh, it's, it's actually not a big device. It's just a little, it looks like a regular little wall wart, but it can do all the charging for you on a trip. So I have a Lenovo laptop and I can plug it into the USB-C port at hundred watts. And in a couple hours, it's charged up. It charges the phone faster than anything else I've ever used before. So if you need a quick charge when you're on a trip, you can use this thing and you get up to speed in no time. And I've kind of just relied on whatever standard charges come with devices, like most of us, I'm sure. Uh, This one here is uh, really awesome because now I can bring one charger. I can charge all my devices cutting down on the the bag and the weight and everything else while still getting the charging. So it doesn't matter which brand really, I'd get a multi-port, probably four ports because you'll have a lot of stuff plugged in at once.
1: Go out and get yourself a 100 watt charger. There it is. Something Ted likes. Hey, Steve, thanks for being here. Ted, I will see you in Orlando in two weeks. Steve, will I see you there as well?
3: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well.
1: Great. And uh, again, by the time you folks watch this, you'll have missed 2022. But something I like is uh, the Missions Leaders Conference. So join us in 2023. Steve, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Steve. A A pleasure. Thank you, guys.
0: Before you go, would you visit our hosts' websites? There you will find a wealth of interesting and challenging information about the state of the Great Commission. They are 1615.org and missionexus.org. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, share, and subscribe so you don't miss one. Mission Matters is presented through a partnership between 1615 Missions Coaching and Nexus.